morning. I'm Emily Jones and you're listening to Subject ACT, Canberra's local current affairs program on community radio, 2XXFM 98.3. Today, we're talking about exposure to asbestos in the ACT and, in particular, the results of a recent study linking ACT residents living in houses containing loose-filled asbestos, or a Mr Fluffy house as they're better known, to the development of various types of cancer, The issue of loose-filled asbestos and how to deal with it is something the ACT government has been grappling with for some time. It certainly is a pressing issue, as Australia has the second-highest mesothelioma death rate in the world, trailing only that of the United Kingdom. Mesothelioma, a rare cancer caused by asbestos exposure, is leaving its mark on the nation, with more than 10,000 people succumbing to the disease since the early 1980s. To help us understand issues related to asbestos exposure in the ACT, as well as the findings published in the recent groundbreaking study about ACT residents in Mr Fluffy Houses, we are joined by Dr Rosemary Corder of the Australian National University, who led the important study we'll be discussing today. Rosemary, welcome to the program. Thank you, Emily. So first of all, can you give us a bit of an explanation of what loose-filled asbestos is? Are there other types of asbestos? There are other types of asbestos. So loose fill is um, very particular to this region in Australia, actually. So um, Jerp, Jansen and Co, who was a, a contractor, pumped this loose fill asbestos insulation into the roof spaces of um, houses, some houses in Canberra, over a thousand houses in Canberra and a number of houses in um, New South Wales. What's unique about this is that it's loose fill. So there's loose fibres, whereas most of the asbestos that's being used in in other areas is not loose. So, for instance, in Australia between, I think, the Second World War and the early 60s, about a quarter of the houses had asbestos cement sheeting used in their building. Wow. Um, Yeah, and people are quite surprised at that. Obviously, it's been um, phased out now and, and no longer used. But that is different because it's actually, it's in cement sheeting, so you don't have these loose fibres floating around. So as long as it's not touched or cut up, um, it's considered um, safe. So that type of asbestos would still be dangerous, though, for instance, if you might be doing renovations or that sort of thing? Yeah, so if, it, if you touch it and start um, cutting it up and you start having loose fibres, that's when the asbestos becomes potentially dangerous So because it's the inhalation of the fibres that we're concerned about. So about the ACT more specifically, can you tell us a little bit about the history of Mr Fluffy Homes in the ACT? So when was this loose-filled asbestos insulation actually installed in Canberra Homes? So the loose-fill was installed between 1968 and 1979 by Dirt, Jansen & Co and successor firms uh, who were commonly referred to as Mr Fluffy um, firms. Uh, And they were insulated, they did the insulation in Canberra, um, the ACT and also southern New South Wales. So this loose-filled asbestos, was it mainly put into roof spaces or was it eventually put into other areas of the home as well? Yes, so it was um, blown into the roof spaces of these houses, but over time the material has migrated to other areas. So we know it's gone down to the wall cavities, into the underfloor spaces, uh, cupboards, into cooling ducts, and it's been found in living areas of people's homes. Right. So... When and how was it finally discovered that loose-filled asbestos insulation was actually dangerous? Well, the story's been unfolding for some time and we have known about the links between asbestos and um, health problems for for many years, for decades, and this precedes really um, the loose-filled asbestos situation in the ACT. Right, so before... 
you know, people were even putting loose fill asbestos in homes in the ACT. People actually knew that asbestos was dangerous to people's health. Certainly we know from a lot of the occupational studies that there were links between asbestos and, um, and disease before this time, yes. Wow, okay. So how many houses were actually found to have loose filled asbestos in them? Uh, we know that it was over 1,000 houses that were on the uh, loose fill asbestos register. Um, and these were picked up. So between 1988 and 1993, a joint Commonwealth and ACT government program visually checked um, over 65,000 houses in the ACT for the presence of this um, insulation. And that's where they picked up over 1,000 houses had the insulation in them. Wow. And when they picked this up, they started an extensive remediation program where they removed the asbestos from the roof spaces and they sealed the roof spaces. The problem was that um, over the years, they've realised that that hasn't completely removed the asbestos insulation and it's re-emerged as a community concern because fibres were found in living spaces of people's houses and a house was missed in the remediation program, uh, hence why the task force set up a new program in June 2014 to look at the impacts of um, loose-foot asbestos on these houses and the community. Right, so can you tell us a little bit more about this government's current program to address this issue of loose-filled asbestos in the ACT? Again, I'm not the best person to explain this because uh, I don't work the task force, but again, on their website, it's very clearly outlined what the um, program has been about. But it's a it's a, dem- a buyback and demolition and resale program and where uh, it's, it's a voluntary program, although I believe you know, the vast majority of residents have taken part in this program, where the government offers to buy back the properties and demolish them, and they, they paid, I think, the market value for the house at the time. Oh, wow, so it's a buyback scheme. Yeah, that's very interesting. So I guess another question I have is, you know, which suburbs in the ACT tend to have a disproportionately high number of Mr Fluffy homes, if any? Which, which suburbs? Yeah. Well, that's the thing with this um, situation is it's not confined to a particular suburb. You'll find it was just about where, um, I guess, he had customers, um, uh, uh, Mr Fluffy, to put the insulation in. So, again, there's a public list of the houses if you, if you want to go and have a look at them. And some suburbs have, um, I think, no houses and other suburbs have quite a few. Mm-hmm. Some, some streets have several houses in the one street that have been affected. Um, so there's no particular pattern uh, except that you can see it was obviously more successful selling this uh, asbestos in some streets than others. Yeah, right. Okay. So now to the health risks of asbestos. Can you talk us through how people can be exposed to asbestos? So the main exposure is through occupational exposure. So people who have mined and milled and worked with it in the construction industries. Uh, and I guess uh, I guess people have done, if they've done DIY innovations and the disturbed asbestos, um, they could be exposed that way. But by far the majority of health problems, the vast majority have been people who have actually had direct occupational exposure with asbestos. Right, so it's not necessarily people like residents in homes, it's people who've come in direct contact with it in, in the workplace. That's Yes, that's the vast majority of the health risks that have been associated in those groups, yes. So what types of cancers are linked to asbestos exposure and how do they develop? So the main mechanism for getting disease from asbestos is through inhalation of fibres. You can still inhale the fibres, but most of them will be um, exhaled and and it's not a problem for most people. So again, most of us will come in contact with asbestos 
at some stage in our lives, but it doesn't cause health problems. Ah. Um, so the health problems are really, again, through people who've had usually very heavy exposure. That's the that's the most strong evidence we have. Again, we can't say that, you know, as some people say one fibre kills and there's some, you know, some debate around that. But And some people say there are no safe levels of asbestos. Um, but the evidence is that um, most people who end up with asbestos-related diseases have had very heavy exposure to the asbestos. Yep. So the, to get back to your um, question about what health effects there are, um, so in terms of cancer, there is a very strong link between um, asbestos exposure and a rare cancer called mesothelioma. Mm-hmm. And that's a very strong link. So it's a rare cancer. So even if you're exposed to asbestos, the risk is very low that you'll get it. But it is very strongly linked to asbestos in that um, asbestos and and similar fibres are the only known cause of mesothelioma. So whereas other cancers, there are many risk factors that um, associate with cancer, this is the risk factor that we know that the exposure that is associated with mesothelioma. Right. There are also, there is some evidence that there is increased risk of lung cancer and uh, um, ovarian cancer. The evidence is, is weaker but it is certainly there. And the um, often there have, there, like for lung cancer, it's a little bit complicated. So um, again, it's usually associated with heavy exposure. And there is some question about whether you can get um, lung cancer from asbestos without also having a smoking history. What we do know that if you, if you are a smoker and you've had heavy um, exposure to asbestos, it does increase your risk of lung cancer. Right. There are another group of cancers too. So pharyngeal cancer, laryngeal cancer, um, colorectal cancer, stomach cancer, that have some weak association with asbestos exposure. And when we say weak association, it means that some studies in these very heavily exposed occupational cohorts have found a link, and some studies haven't. Right. Just um, in terms of mesothelioma as being sort of the main cancer that's associated with asbestos, what's the prognosis like? Can it be treated or cured? Unfortunately, uh, it's a it's a serious cancer and they are working on treatments, but currently it has a very high fatality rate um, and, and a very short life expectancy on average. Now, that's very variable. Some people will live many years after the diagnosis, but the average time between being diagnosed with the cancer and dying from the cancer is less than a year. Oh, mm. gosh, that's, that's terrible. But the other thing I guess to keep in mind about that is that so it's very short between the time you're diagnosed and actually developing the cancer, but there is a long lag between first being exposed to asbestos and development of the disease if you were going to develop the disease. So how many decades? So, um, so that is anywhere as from about 10 years to up to about 50 years. between. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's, and it's incredibly variable. You're listening to Subject ACT. My name is Emily Jones and it's time for some music now before we continue our discussion with Dr Rosemary Corder about asbestos exposure in the ACT. The track is Fire and Iron by Kate Miller-Heidke. Sunday morning in the lawns all morning We walked through the Japanese gardens home You tried to impress me by rolling a smoke But your hands were shaking and the paper broke 
I played cool and I took a drag Cough like the kid on the Panadol ad You just smiled, kicked the dirt Said we're not as cool as we thought we were Well, that track was Fire and Iron by the wonderful Kate Miller-Heidke. You're listening to 2XXFM 98.3 and the program is Subject ACT, Canberra's local current affairs program where we explore issues from a curious and informed perspective. Today, we're talking with Dr Rosemary Corder, a researcher from the Australian National University about asbestos exposure in Mr Fluffy houses within the ACT and her study linking residents of Mr Fluffy houses to various types of cancer. Can you tell us what was the purpose of your study? Yeah, so 
this study was a, what we call a data linkage study and it was examining whether rates of mesothelioma and these other cancers um, were higher in people who had lived in a Mr Fluffy house in the ACT compared to people that hadn't lived in these houses in the ACT. Right. And did your study look at all residents who have lived in a Mr Fluffy house? So we used data linkage and the with this data linkage, we could look at data from November 1983 onwards because that was the period of, um, of time that we had data for. So we couldn't look at any evidence of um, health effects before that. Okay. So when you look at that, we use Medicare data, so uh, enrolment data, and using those data, you can look, you can, um, and linking it to the list of Mr. Fluffy addresses you can pick up who has and hasn't lived in a Mr Fluffy house since November 1983. Ah. Um, so, but not before that, because that's when the data sta- started. Yep. Um, and then we were able to link those data to the cancer registries around Australia. So um, cancer is a notifiable disease in Australia and um, every state and territory has a register. So we um, link those data to every registry around Australia, plus death data, so we knew when people had died or not. And then you can work out rates of cancer in the people that have lived in these houses and the people that haven't. So if you do that study, interestingly, there's been over a million people that have lived in the ACT since um, Medicare stated, started. That's what we picked up on our data. And of those people, there was just over 17,000 who had lived in a Mr Fifey house. Yeah, that's quite a high number of residents. So previously, studies of cancer risk associated with asbestos exposure have largely focused on high-level exposures in workplace settings such as mining, manufacturing and construction industries. So is that why you thought it would be important to focus on domestic risk and were there any other ways that your study was significant and new? Yeah, it's a good question. So, because, you know, why do this study when we know there's a strong link between asbestos and mesothelioma? The reason we did it is because... um, you know, obviously people are concerned about their health and the health risks. And even though in prior evidence, and there's a lot of studies done on asbestos and health risks, and we could say from that that the risks are likely to be small if existent at all, we, we couldn't say that with because we'd never studied this before. So um, it's a unique population. It's a unique situation. We're unaware of any studies in the world that have looked at the association between living in a house with this loose with asbestos and actually development of, of disease. So even though you can extrapolate from other occupational studies and you can start to sort of hypothesise that it's probably this or probably that, you can't say for sure because no one's actually studied this direct association from living in a house with this, these products and development of disease. So that's why the ACT government decided to commission the study to say we'll use the best available data we have to try and at least look at what the rates are in these people. Yep. So what were your main findings then from the study? So the main finding was that the rate of mesothelioma was um, 2.5 times higher in men who had lived in these houses compared to men who hadn't lived in these houses. But I would stress again that the mesothelioma is a rare cancer. So even though two and a half times, it was two and a half times higher, so there was an elevated risk in men who had lived in these houses, the overall number of cases was very small. So over the 30-year period of our study, there was a total of seven men who developed mesothelioma who'd lived in these houses. And we think that's about four excess cases. So that is um, excess in terms of living in a Mr. Fluffy house compared to the general population. Who haven't lived in the house, that's yeah. right. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Right. And just quickly, why was it that men were more likely to contract mesothelioma than women? 
All right, that's a good question. So before the study started, you would we were expecting it to be higher in, in men than women, just because generally from what we know from other studies that men are much more likely to get mesothelioma than women. That probably reflects an occupational history. So that was not surprising in itself. And it is a rare cancer. So in our study, we followed about 8,500 women. So you, you might not expect to, to pick up a single case in, in the study because it is so rare in, in women. One reason, though, why in this particular study, um, where it may have been higher than men, is because it could be because men more likely to go in the roof spaces or renovate the houses. Right. So it could be that they were actually more exposed on average to asbestos and more heavily than women in this study. We can't say that directly because we don't know that from the people in this study. Mm -hmm. We can just infer that may have been the reason. We had done a a survey of current residents um, and recent past residents back in the middle of last year and certainly we know that 85% of men had entered the roof space in their houses at some stage. So it is a fairly common activity Mm -hmm. and quite a large proportion had entered the the roof space many times. Right, okay. I also, when I had a look at your study, it said that it found that Mr Fluffy residents appeared to contract mesothelioma about 10 years younger than usual, with an average age at diagnosis of 58 among Mr Fluffy residents and 67 among the wider population. Why is this the case? Yeah, we, we didn't um, set out to look at the age differences directly and test that we thought they'd be younger, um, but that was something, as you, as you saw in the report, it, they were 10 years younger on average, and we can't say from our data why that is the case. Was it from early exposure? We don't know because we don't have the full history of exposure on the people in the study. We don't know, you know, when they first lived in these houses. We do, all we can say is that we know that five of the seven men were living in the houses from the start of our study. Yeah, um, okay. But there would have been some that were living there much earlier than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't want to overstate that finding of a younger average age but it is an interesting finding yeah absolutely so I think you've basically sort of alluded to this throughout the interview but just for our listeners who might have just joined us how high is the risk to ACT residents who've been living in Mr Fluffy houses whether you're concerned or not is obviously an individual um, matter because some people people perceive risk very differently Mm -hmm. and so as scientists I guess we can report the risks as best we can Um, but really people will make their own decision about whether that's an acceptable risk or not. What I can say is again it's important to talk about what we talk about the relative risk and the absolute risk. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the relative risk we found mesothelioma was two and a half times higher in men who'd lived in these houses compared to men that haven't. That's what we call a relative risk. Yep. And for a lot of people, they will find that very concerning. On the other hand, you also need to put in the context of how many absolute number of cases. It is a rare cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a rare cancer in both people that haven't lived in these houses and people that have lived in these houses. So the risk of developing mesothelioma is still very small. Right. But it is elevated. So again, and some people would say that that's unacceptable to have any elevation of risk yes. um, in these in these in living in a house. Is the general advice to people who have been exposed to asbestos in these Mr. Fluffy houses to go and get screened regularly, or is that not that's, necessarily an option? It's not advised um, to to um, get regularly screened. Uh, it probably won't change 
anything much but I would say that again it's about individuals making choices about what they feel is appropriate for them and if they're concerned they really should speak to their general practitioner in the first instance about the best um, pathway to take. Absolutely. So for our listeners who might now be wondering whether their house contains loose filled asbestos or any form of dangerous asbestos for that matter how can they find out whether their house is contaminated? You mentioned the list online. Yeah, I would um, suggest that they contact the ACT Asbestos Response Task Force Mm -hmm. um, about that matter. Right. Mm -hmm. And is it the same for if they're wondering, you know, what actions can they take now in the meantime if they believe their house might be contaminated? Yes, I think, again, it would be best to, if they have any concerns about that, to contact the um, Asbestos Response Task Force directly. Okay. Mm -hmm. Just a quick question about tradespeople. You know, electricians, for instance, often go up into roofs or drill holes in the wall. Are they usually very careful in ensuring that they don't carry out work in houses that have been contaminated or do tradespeople often put themselves at risk? That's a really good question. And um, I don't know the direct answer to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly there are um, work safe rules around um, handling of asbestos. So Mm -hmm. people in the construction industry uh, should be aware of the risks of asbestos and there's rules around handling it, which is interesting because there aren't for residents. So if you're doing DI, you know, do-it-yourself renovations, people don't necessarily know to take those precautions. But that's not to say that people aren't concerned and tradespeople will have a higher exposure to these products because they're in the construction industry. Right. Well, I guess we might finish on the question... How do you envision your study might be used to change policy related to asbestos in the ACT? Yes, so this study, uh, in terms of the the buyback, as you know, and demolition scheme is already well underway. And I think this was really a study about informing residents of their right to know about the potential risk. Because that was the big question. People saying, well, if you're you're pulling down the houses anyway, um, why bother? But I think it is about information and people actually saying, well, we might be pulling them down, but it doesn't mean that we're going to feel comfortable going into the future about our health or how should we feel about this? So it is about that. Um, open and transparency, openness and transparency about saying what do we know about the potential risks to people's health. So in that sense, I think it is really important to know. And by doing this study, we can say, well, these are how many people we've been able to identify who have contracted this disease, mm-hmm. rather than saying, well, we think it could be this or it might be that or don't worry about it or do worry about it. I think it is always better to have the evidence about this. Yeah. I think where it is also uh, important is there are other places uh, uh, where a similar product has been used um, internationally. And so I think, again, as far as we know, it's the first time this sort of study has been done. So I think it will be um, useful for um, internationally for people to know about the potential health risks of loose fill insulation. Yeah, absolutely. Just finally, is there anything that you'd like to talk about that you think might be interesting that I haven't mentioned? I guess if people read the report, they'll come across um, a finding that we found um, rates of colorectal cancer were also higher in men and women who'd lived in these houses. So about 1.3 times higher in men and 1.7 times higher in women. Why is that? Uh, and that's and that's a little bit harder to explain. So um, we were a little bit surprised at that finding, a little bit unexpected um, because the association between asbestos and colorectal cancer has been much weaker in previous studies, even in studies where people have been had very high exposures, um, they often don't find that link. Right. Uh, and if they do find it, it's a, it's a fairly 
fairly weak link. So uh, we weren't necessarily expecting to find it in this study. And while you can't dismiss the findings because they're there, you have to be careful about um, interpreting it in, in light of the limitations of the study. There are unavoidable limitations in this study that mm-hmm. could explain that difference. So, for example, while we could link up all the data and we could look at who has cancer and who hasn't, we don't have data on other risk factors for these cancers. So for colorectal cancer, for instance, if you smoke, it increases your risk. Right. If you have a certain types of diet, it can increase your risk. Um, family history can increase your risk. We don't have any information on those other risk factors. Right. So it could be that those factors were higher in people just happened to be hiring people who lived in these houses who didn't. Yeah, We've got no okay. reason to suspect they are. Mm-hmm. We don't have evidence to suspect they aren't. So that's where it's different. There's a, It's more open to interpretation, these findings. We have to be more cautious, not to dismiss them, but to be more cautious about keeping an open mind whether it really is a real association or not with this cancer. Yeah, and that could be a very interesting area of future research perhaps. Um, I agree, yes. And I think the the uh, it would be interesting to be able to look at that more closely into the future. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, we're just about out of time. So thank you so much for coming in, Rosemary. That was very, very interesting. And I'm sure many residents in the ACT will be listening today and finding that quite relevant to maybe their own experience or someone they know. So thanks very much. Thanks, Emily. That concludes our discussion with Dr. Rosemary Corder. Join us each weekday, 8.30 to 9am on 2XXFM 98.3, Subject ACT. You can stream us live at 2XXFM.org.au forward slash listen or catch up on all our podcast episodes at soundcloud.com forward slash Subject ACT. Stay in touch via Facebook and Twitter. Community radio needs you, so please support this station by subscribing via 2XXFM.org.au. Stay tuned for more people-powered radio. I'm Emily Jones. Have a great day.